0: This is the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the
1: inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Joe Rimmer and today I'm joined by three fine gentlemen to talk about another great win for the Reds on Saturday afternoon. The Reds beat Arsenal 3-1 in what was a fairly straightforward victory. That's three wins from three now, nine points, the only team on those nine points at the top of the Premier League. So a very decent start. Uh, I'm joined by Theo Squires, who was at Anfield on Saturday. Theo, how are you?
2: I'm good, thanks, Joe. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm good. Um, I'm all the better for having some Theo Squires' mother cake. Oh, which, um, it's great cake, isn't it? In today, yeah, it's great. Yeah, enjoyed that. Inspired
2: by naming me, of course.
1: Yeah, yeah. On, on my left is Theo's mortal enemy, Dan. <laughs> you Call done? that a
0: name. <laughs> Call that a cake. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was a very nice cake. Nice one, Theo's mum.
1: Yeah, is that is that sort of build bridges between you and? and well, I well?
0: think we're getting there, aren't we? We're kind yeah. of yeah. But there's a there's a there's a peace mission going on. Across we're on the late
1: this week, aren't we? Together, so we've got to make amends in time exactly, for that. Yeah. After after name gate, there's no iron team.
0: Yeah,
1: and on the far left is the tall man. He is our full time Liverpool reporter, both home and away. It's then he calls Freudian subconscience. Yeah, it's, it is it really? being <laughs> <laughs> Have you really believed me? It's Paul Yeah, Hello, Joe. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, yeah. To be honest, it was this exact same line, other than Ian Doyle for mm. you, on uh, on Friday, so that maybe is why I slipped. Yeah, quite possibly. Because um, you were sunning
3: yourself in, in Cornwall? I was, 300 miles down south, catching yeah. uh, plenty of rays. Uh, good to have a week off, but now I'm back and ready yeah. to get stuck into uh, the latest pod. What a s- way to celebrate
1: getting the uh, LFC correspondent job? Just missed the next game. Yeah, just yeah. Uh, just just missed the next two games.
3: It was actually <laughs> a holiday that was booked months ago, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah, well, had that long before it's it, it was all. Is done. that the first time you've had the title for a pod intro? Second, second. Uh, yeah, uh, we
1: we gave him the big build up when he uh, first got announced. Yeah, I wasn't listening though. Was no, he? no I, it. <laughs> I, I was off as well. Then go home and listen to it. <laughs>
3: um,
1: we did mention names before. and I, I'd like to just say something at the start here because oh uh, the last podcast I um, I did get quite a lot of stick, um, deservedly, deservedly maybe for um, my my stance on nicknames. Um, and I would like to say first of all, I was only joking. Uh, you can call the players whatever you bloody well please. Um, <laughs> that's and, that's and, a load off. And two, I'm going to lift. For this podcast and all podcasts going forward, I'm going to lift my um, nickname ban, so as cringe as it is, you can call Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain the Ox, um, and Bobby, you know what? You can call him Bobby. Bobby's, Bobby's, the Ox is worse than Bobby, but go on, yeah, call him what you like. I don't want, um, I don't want to get abusive tweets like I got last time. From, you got uh, a few, didn't you? Yeah, one Did man you, yeah? telling me to go and move to North Korea, Well, um, which I don't know whether it was a little bit of an exaggeration, but I understand this you point. You
0: playing red.
2: Dan right. and I had one guy tweet us tagging us saying, even the club called him Bobby. It's like, but well, you weren't intact in that one. So like, yeah, right. we were calling him Bobby. Yeah.
1: Uh, you can call him Bobby. I'll still call him Roberto, but I, I wasn't telling what people, what they <clears throat> had to, um, what they had to call him. Just what I didn't like. Fair enough. Thanks, Fair enough. <laughs> Thanks for
0: clarifying your position on that Joe. Yeah. I
1: just wanted to clear that up because I didn't want to get any more abusive tweets. Yeah. Anyway, let's, let's, let's be positive because Liverpool have won their third game on the bounce in the league. Um, very happy. Um, Theo, we'll start with you as you were um, you were there on Saturday evening. In the press box, a thoroughly enjoyable win. Um, Liverpool dominated pretty much from start to finish. Uh, job well done. Yes, what we're
2: getting used to when Liverpool face Arsenal at home, these comfortable, emphatic victories. Arsenal could tell they just wanted to play defensive. They were so deep for majority of the game, obviously fearful of Liverpool's front three getting in behind them with the full-backs, getting in and getting the crosses in. And you could tell that there was a lot of balls coming in from Alex Arnold and Robertson, and they were just clearing them. Opening goal took a little while to come, but once Liverpool got it, there was no fears that they were going to drop points. They just found it so easy. All the talk before the game was how this was their biggest test. We were obviously talking about the offside trap, the high defensive line, and there was only really one or two occasions where they came under threat. Um, one of them was self-made, Henderson giving it away and Pepe running yeah. one-on-one. Uh, Yang had a chance. Apart from that, it's really straightforward. Um, Mohamed Salah, great brace, probably one of the best penalties we've seen at Anfield. Uh, and the second goal, I, I don't care what excuses David Lewis wants to come out with, he <laughs> can try and kick him as much as he wants. Yeah. Salah is scoring that and that is one of the great individual goals Anfield's witnessed as well. Um, good to see Matip get his uh, first Premier League goal of the season. Two and four now, is it, for him? Yep. He's really starting to make that shirt his own and can't can really complain when you're top of the league, 100% record.
1: Yeah, OK. Well, Dan, uh, you and I briefly spoke about it before we came into this podcast. There's Arsenal have come to Anfield and, and rolled over on a few occasions in recent years, but... This was a better Arsenal team, wasn't it, than than what we've seen?
0: Without question, yeah. <clears throat> I thought they were quite impressive. And obviously, it's very, very, very early days in the season. But on the initial impressions from you know, the first round of three games, I think Arsenal will be very much pushing for fourth and possibly even third, bearing in mind how Tottenham got on yesterday. And they caused Liverpool some difficulties, particularly in that first half hour. Um, Nicolas Pepe, who obviously had been a lot... Talk and a lot spoken about, and and a lot of people kind of quite interested to see how we'd how we do in in his first start. He did seem to cause Van Dyke in particular some discomfort, but you know I, I think I mentioned on, in the in the podcast on Friday when we were talking about Liverpool's supposedly less than perfect defensive start to the season. When you're playing at the level that Liverpool are playing, at the top end of the Premier League, at the top end of the Champions League, you're playing against some of the best attacking players. In Europe, in the world, who occasionally are going to play well and cause you, and cause you problems, mm. and I think you have to accept that. As this, you know, we're we're fortunate and we've got some outstanding defenders, outstanding goalkeeper, and an excellent manager that obviously has them very well honed and very well drilled. But there there are going to be <coughs> spells in games when when you are going to be under the cosh. Now, I've I've just occurred to me now as we're talking about this. i have been reading a report on Saturday evening. I think I, th- I think it was in. I think it was, might have been in Paul Joyce's um, mm-hmm. Times Match Report, formerly this parish, of course. And sorry to um, bring this on you, Joe, to make a, a slight cricketing reference, which a lot of sports fans oh, around the country will have... Will cricket be, is banned
1: from this podcast. Well, <laughs> I've,
0: I've got I've got quite a relevant little analogy. Well, th- but this basically is a quote from um, Joyce's Match Report, but I think it's very apt in terms of Liverpool's performance in that first half hour. And it kind of tapped into a theme that... Uh, cricket fans around the country will have been talking about a lot in the last couple of days. So he's talking about Klopp and he says mental strength has become such a big part of their armour under Klopp and this, i.e. the first half hour of the game Mm -hmm. before Liverpool really got cracking, was the equivalent of good test match batting. Hanging in in when things were tricky before taking full advantage once conditions become benign. And I think this, this has become a real feature of the last year to 18 months of Klopp's side, a real maturity and an understanding of games that you're not going to dominate teams for 90 minutes. There are going to be spells when you're under the cosh and you've just got to dog it out, see it out, get through it and wait for things to change and make, and make things change. And Liverpool did that expertly well on Saturday. And in the end, I mean, 3-1 probably, I suppose, is a fair reflection because Arsenal did play quite well in patches for that, for, you know, certainly for that first half hour and in spells towards the end when... Again, to use another quickening analogy, which you just used, Joe, Liverpool had kind of declared.
1: Yeah, yeah, OK. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you that one.
0: As, as Gorsi just pointed out just before we come on air, Ben, at 3-0, it, it could and possibly should have been 4-5-6. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, one of the really encouraging parts. There's, you, you still get that sense that Liverpool haven't really got started yet and it was top of the league with 9 points some 3, so we'd all take that.
2: I of just predicted 3-1, didn't we? So yeah, Apart from me, anything? I said 4-2. Did you?
0: <laughs> That's still the same gap.
1: Yeah. Well, well Klopp actually alluded to it Paul in his press conference before the game and he, and he said look you know against big players you're not going to stop them having chances they're going to have chances and that's why you, you make blocks that's why you have a goalkeeper so he knew what he was talking about and, and when Liverpool needed them Joel Matip made a fantastic block to stop um, Aubameyang yeah. a good save from Adrian albeit not the best shot but you know Players stood up and, and were counted, weren't they, in key parts of that early part of the game?
3: Exactly, yeah. And it's, As Dan says, you know, Liverpool don't operate in a vacuum. There's, there's another team who are trying to win the game just as much as they are. And sometimes these players are going to have chances and, and opportunities and, and they will score. It's just part and parcel. I'm not overly concerned with Liverpool's defensive performance so far. It's all part of the system and um, particularly defending, it's, it's a lot more about you. Your, your team and, mm-hmm. and you you working in that team rather than just individual brilliance of attackers so I think over the next few weeks they'll iron out any flaws that they they have at the moment and they'll start um, keeping a few more clean sheets because let's face it they were the best defence in the Premier League last season weren't they with was it 21 clean sheets and yeah. just 22 conceded yeah. nearly um, you know nearly kept more clean sheets than goals conceded which is just an astonishing st- statistic to even think that that was nearly possible so no concerns defensively, and and um, Liverpool and Klopp probably wish they could play Arsenal every week. Um, I think it's 18 goals in four games, or four or five games now. Uh, four comfortable wins and one 3-3 draw, and um, they're just very just cannon fodder, aren't they, for Liverpool and Arsenal when they come to Anfield, um, as Saturday proved. and As Dan says, it, it probably should have been four or five after the third one went in, but he did declare and couldn't shut up shop, but I'm not worried about that long term. Theo, there
1: was a lot of talk following the game about Unai Emery's tactics, uh, very clear midfield diamond and allowing Liverpool's full backs to have a lot of the ball. What did you think about that? Because I think afterwards it's easy to look back in hindsight and say got it all wrong, but Liverpool's opening goal came from a set piece. They didn't have any, you would say, clear cut chances before that. It seemed to be working and it also said a lot about the respect Arsenal had for Liverpool, didn't it? Well, Liverpool got what was it 23 or something ridiculous assists from the fullbacks
2: yeah. last year. And whilst they were getting the crosses in because Arsenal was so deep with so many men back, mm. Liverpool weren't getting the chances. I think there was um, the one early on when Firmino could have got on the end of a Robertson cross and yeah, just missed yeah. it. And there was a couple like that that went all the way across the box. But for the majority, Arsenal centre backs dealt with it relatively well. I, th- I think it was a pretty reasonable tactic because um, Liverpool's strength is getting men in behind defences. And they just couldn't do that for the majority of the game. The like, main moment they did was when Salah got his second goal. Um, and then you're looking at it, it's, it did the job. Like With the midfield diamond, it meant Firmino had to drop deeper. Mm-hmm. So you weren't seeing him in the dangerous positions that we've seen against Arsenal before, yeah. where he's got such a good goal-scoring record. The only problem with Arsenal doing the containing is that when they were trying to counter-attack with Aubameyang and Pepe, they were a little bit light. There was just that yeah. one man going forward a the second. Maybe if they'd had Lacazette in there from the start... Then it would have been a bit more of a danger for Liverpool. But it's ridiculous looking at it because it was at times like it was almost 2 3 2 3 with Fabinho just sitting, sweeping up, and another ray of, Lu- ray of Liverpool attack going every time Arsenal cleared the ball.
1: Yeah, it says a lot, doesn't it, that about the strength of whoever's we'll team when, when a, a team as good as Arsenal, and people might sneer at them at times, but they're, they're still a top six Premier League club, and a, cl- a team as good as Arsenal come play a tactic like that and almost say, well, all right, we can't stop. We can't stop your attack, and you you fall back. So let's let's try and deal with your attack, and let your fallbacks have a go. And and Liverpool have just so many strengths now, don't they?
0: Yeah, it, I think in many ways it, it's a compliment to Liverpool mm-hmm. and a sign of respect of of obviously the position that Klopp and his men have have put themselves in over the last three and a half years, where you know we're clearly one of the best teams in the country, one of the best teams in the in Europe. And I think as the season goes on, we will see similar type of Unusual tactical devices employed to try and give a team a platform in a game. Some may be more successful than others, and and one thing that <clears throat> I think we can all take confidence and heart from is the fact that this Liverpool team are pretty good at problem solving. Um, you know, the, over the course of certainly last season, when it was such a roller coaster at times, and obviously the expectation level had been raised so much by. Couple of years that had come before, and obviously the way we were playing and, and the position that we were occupying at the top of the, ta- at the top of the league for pretty much the whole campaign, they will have curveballs thrown at them. And this this Liverpool team has shown, has shown a real capability of being able to analyze a problem, read a situation, and 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 find solu- and find solutions on the hoof, and. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this this is something that that we'll see more of as the season goes on because a lot of teams will realise now you can't just try and take this Le- this Liverpool team on because they'll rip you to shreds.
2: Isn't it something that we wanted to see or we complained about last season when teams were playing Man City and they weren't going at them, they weren't yeah. giving them a game? Well, maybe this is what we're going to get used to now. Like when you've got one of the better teams in the country mm. just defending and absorbing the pressure, it's Liverpool States as European champions. Yeah.
0: But, I, but I, th- I think this is something you want to see as a football sport, as a football fan. I mean, obviously as Liverpool fans, we want to see teams have a go at City and not just roll over and accept a two 0 three 0 defeat. Obviously, we could be you know the, and the same as you say, the same will apply to teams when they take us on. But just in a general sense, it's not good for the game when teams are essentially writing their <coughs> chances off before they even get <coughs> started. You know, if, if you know if football if, if football or any sport turned out the way people predicted every time, no one would watch it. The beauty of sport is that. The chance of the unexpected, the unlikely, and we all talked about Norwich, um, who obviously were at Anfield in the first game of the season, and there was a couple maybe slightly patronising remarks aimed aimed at them for their kind of their willingness to try and play, even if obviously they were they ended up getting a fairly heavy beating. Um, But I I just I really hope that teams up and down the league will take we'll see what the likes of Norwich and Arsenal have done and realise that. I think you get a lot you get a lot more patience from your own supporters if you've had a go and it doesn't come off but when you've basically when you've not even had a go and you still get beat, then there's no way left to go is there so hopefully you know other teams will see this and um you know I think the game of football in the Premier League will be better for it.
1: I felt like you you needed to get that off your chest. <laughs> it it felt like. Yeah, well, it's a moment
0: it, it, it for you. Not, over the last, t- I mean, I, I can remember going back, must be fifteen odd years. Towards the end of the season, it was when Sheffield United were on a team in the Premier League and, and Warnett was the manager. Now we ended up having a big everyone's, massive. Rant. Everyone's
1: fault but his own. Well, we didn't have um, a big rant yeah. at the end when Liverpool, yeah.
0: who win like the Champions League semis, played a weak team against Fulham. Yeah. Fulham, yeah, and Fulham got the win. And Sheffield United got relegated. I think having lost, over to Wigan on the last day. Yeah, but. Liverpool were kind of only really on the fringes of the title race. I think it was really more Chelsea going They're with United fourth, that year. But I remember a game at Old Trafford in like mid-March, I don't know, just, you know, following it on the radio or Twitter was even a thing then. Um, but basically, Warnock Lane, pretty much a scratch team, at United away, basically saying, I'm not even going to try and get any points today. And, 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 and there was very much an impression afterwards that he was satisfied with the 2-0 defeat. So you know, his 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 moans about Liverpool at the end of the season kind of wore thin because people say, "Well, hang on, what have you just done two weeks ago?" Football's there to be won. Have a go. At least if it doesn't come off, fine. But I, I just think, as a supporter, primarily, you will always have that little bit more patience and respect for your team if they've at least had a go rather than just cowardly,
1: not even at a bash. I don't quite know how we got Aren't here, it? but I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hard, how is yeah. supposed to follow that? Yeah. up. that's very but, passionate. <laughs> it kind of feels like I'm going to change tack here and talk about Liverpool versus Arsenal, but um, <laughs> but it was a bit of a. We'll talk about two two centre halves who, who had very different fortunes on the day. We'll start with David Luiz, Paul, who I actually spoke in, in the podcast on Friday and said we'd never really seen a. David Luiz tends to have good games against Liverpool and we'd never really seen this David Luiz who's this cartoon character who does crazy things yeah. and you lo and behold will. there he, on <laughs> Saturday sat the evening off he went and um, I, I mean first of all I can't quite believe that he was trying to say that it wasn't a penalty after the game because he didn't pull his shirt that hard and then second of all he was saying well Salah only got past me because I, I couldn't kick him because it was him. on a yellow card it, it was a bizarre performance and it played right into Liverpool's hands didn't It
3: did some- and <laughs> I, I actually like David Luiz as a defender I thought when Chelsea won the league a couple of years ago I thought he was great I thought he was very good for the couple of months of last season but these instances and incidents and these kind of performances just let him down so much don't they and they play into the hands of people who just think he's a bit of a caricature defender who shouldn't be anywhere near a back four and um, yeah it, it was a penalty wasn't it it doesn't matter if he's only grabbed them or he's hauled him to the ground he still had hold of his shirt clear as day stopped Salah getting through for for the goal so that was a penalty was and it then him that
1: was, was grappling with Van Dijk as well for the first goal
3: because there was like there was remember. about six Arsenal players the Clipper, the trying to hold him Van Dijk
0: going it our penalty Matt's just
3: wheeling away celebrating and yeah. yeah. way, yeah. Van Dijk still trying to have a moan yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then for the for Salah's second he says oh well you know if it wasn't on a yellow we could have booted him and he wouldn't have scored <laughs> um, we would have got near him i love yeah. that honesty though yeah. <laughs> well, it, it was awful for getting tight anyway because as soon as Salah seen that space he poked it into the into the space and, and was away wasn't he so yeah, um, it was one of his, you know, not one of his better performances, Louise on, on Saturday and um, perfect for Liverpool because they took full advantage, uh, particularly the second half. So um, I think it will be decent for Arsenal, but glad there is, um it was one of his more comical performances on Saturday.
2: Can I say, I think the criticism is a little bit harsh. Like Mohamed Salah will do this against any oh, defender yeah, on the planet. yeah, yeah, no,
1: that's true. I, th- I think he has <laughs> a way of doing it, doesn't he? And I think it's... What frustrates me is after a game like that, which Liverpool fully deserved to win, were, we're by the, the the better team by far and then you have afterwards him saying that it wasn't a penalty, that it was, it was the most blatant penalty going, you have this debate about, well not not debate but this infatuation with the fact that Van Dijk got dribbled past <laughs> and, and things like, stories like that, it should just all be about how good Liverpool were, they, they were the by far the better team, a class above Arsenal and this should be, we should just all be talking about how good Liverpool are but Someone like David Luiz seems to have a habit of having everyone talk about him. And we're falling straight into that trap, having everyone talk about him. did find that from
2: doing the papers around most of the Nationals led on Arsenal and how bad they were, how defensive they were in the David Luiz horror show.
1: Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about someone from Liverpool who who was very, very good, which was Joel Matip, who um, Theo, do you think now has nailed down that place alongside Van Dijk? Um, he's he's defending very very well again, and and of course it was a great goal as well.
2: Well, I've not changed my mind since Saturday. So yeah, yeah um, I've, we regular listeners of the podcast no, I've not been his biggest fan. I've always thought he's had a car crash moment in himself, like David that showed at the weekend. But he has really risen to the challenge since he's even.
1: Gotten, did you sorry, to interrupt, but did you think that even in the last say four to six months? Yeah, you still felt yeah.
2: like I, I still the last season really yeah. that's interesting. I, I thought he was potentially going to be the weak link in the Champions League final. I'd always have Joe Gomez ahead of him just because it's the future of Liverpool's defence. He offers more and the defence was so good in the first half of last season. We can't forget how good it was. But maybe it's because Van Dijk hasn't been at his very best at the start of this season. Matip is looking very good alongside him. There's confidence to his game. Like when he's doing these runs forward, you're not thinking... Crap! He's going to lose the ball here, and then we're going to be caught out of the back. He knows what he's doing, and there were times like it was the Aubameyang chance really that stood out yeah. as the main yeah. moment that could have changed the game completely yeah, if Arsenal yeah. get a goal then. And just after we'd gone
0: three one up, wasn't it? Literally just after 2, two, two, nil. two Oh yeah. sorry, because
2: yeah. 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 like all the Liverpool f- the back four looked to the lines been thinking, oh he's going to be offside. Um, I had Doyley next to me, really animated, going that's offside, properly screaming it. At- Doyley animated yeah. in the press box. Oh, well. He, he said it a couple of times there, and then Matip's the only one who sprints. And for someone who isn't really that fast compared to the rest, such pace to catch up with the Bamiang and take it off him was great. Yeah,
0: yeah. There was a similar instance, wasn't there, quite early on in the Barcelona semi-final, not long after we'd gone in front, mm. when again Barcelona got in behind. It was almost like everybody stopped.
1: Was that the one Coutinho? It was like two he, on one, and it was weird because I thought he's going to shoot and score it, and he, and and he and was looking like, like like for Messi. He was and <laughs> while they were,
0: exactly while he was yeah. looking around, Matip was like, "Thank you very you know, yeah, steamed yeah, and yeah, took it off that, him." Yeah. Yeah. Um, Shall I jump yeah, in on Yeah, no, you, you, you <laughs> seem to re- enjoy yourself.
1: Go for it.
0: I think he's rapidly on his way to becoming a cult hero. Um, I mean, I don't know if any Do of you Do you think seen... he's only
1: on his way or he's not the Well, he yeah, probably... Think... Well,
0: it's actually all right. No, he is already a cult hero. I mean, has anyone seen the little media's yeah, no, doing no, around? Super Cup celebrations. <laughs> Super Cup celebrations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've noticed that... I've only watched it back about three million times. The um, the end of the Barcelona semi-final and he's right in the middle of the, yeah. of the throng on the final whistle doing these big booming, yeah, kind of type of celebrations. Um, most importantly, though, he's an excellent defender. You know, he seems to dovetail superbly well with Van Dijk. As mentioned before, say Van Dyke was, you know, struggling first half, but Nicolas Pepe particularly was, you know, causing him more problems than most have. And I think since Massive has become a regular in the team, which really is, you know, this calendar year, there have been occasions when he has outshone Van Dyke at mm-hmm. times. Likely, I'm a huge fan of Joe Gomez. I thought he was outstanding first half of last season. Yeah, you know, and I think in many ways he is the long-term future of Liverpool's defence, and I think he's got a big part to play this season. I would have, you know, I can see him playing at least thirty odd games, some at centre back, some at right back. But Joel Matip has been a, a, a revelation over the last nine to twelve months. I like Theo; would completely written him off. Certainly eighteen months ago, that four-one game at at, uh, at Wembley against Tottenham, when Lovren really was the one that got the attention, but I completely saw my backside with. Uh, massive that day. Didn't want to see him in a Liverpool shirt again. And it's to me, it's one of the great Liverpool comebacks with the way he's kind of reinvented himself mm. and has become an absolute key figure in this side now.
3: Yeah, I think though, I think if you look at it over the past four or five years, the it, it's becoming very evident that teams are now prioritising centre backs <laughs> and put a lot more importance into centre halves. Look at Liverpool's deal for Van Dijk, seventy-five million. Laporte was about 60000000 million, wasn't he? Tottenham paid a lot of money for Davin, Davinson Sanchez. Maguire. Maguire is the obvious one this summer, isn't he? World's <coughs> most expensive defender. And Liverpool picked up Joel Matup for free, didn't he? What, yep. three three years ago? Three and a half years ago? Um, he's a Champions League winner. He played in the final. Had a great game alongside Van Dijk. Kept had a Kane quiet. Um, so what can you say? Another testament to Liverpool's recruitment policy under Jurgen Klopp. And, I think it was probably Klopp more than anyone who, who, who spotted John Matup. He, he would have known him well, wouldn't he, from his time in the Bundesliga when he he, he played for Schalke. And um, that was—is was, that a derby? Is it Dortmund Schalke? Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah um, he
2: was saying he could never bring him to Schalke um, to Dortmund, sorry, yeah, because yeah, of the rivalry. Yeah. But he's a player he always wanted to sign. Yeah,
3: yeah. and brought him in on a free. So um, yeah, you know, what an excellent piece of business that is. And I'm I'm with you Theo. I, I, I wasn't his biggest fan for for a while and. Um, it was only really maybe like the last four or five months that I've started to think, OK, maybe I've, I've been a bit harsh on, on Mata because he's, he's been excellent since he came into the team in January, February time.
2: I think it also shows um, how much value you've got from signing Van Dijk because you're now saying all three centre-back partners have had their best spells in have pushed out and looked the most consistent when they've had that chance to be the first choice alongside him. Yeah. Like Dejan Lovren, he's a bit of a figure of ridicule at the moment, but let's not forget a year, 18 months ago, he was enforced to. He had to go into that team. There was no one else and he had his best run up to the Champions League final. He was the best player for Liverpool in that Champions League final. We've already said how good Gomez was last year and now Matip, knowing that he is the first choice alongside Van Dijk, he's looking that extra confidence, so mature on the ball. When you've got a player like that alongside you, you can build that partnership and you're going to see the rewards and Liverpool are at the moment.
1: Absolutely. So how important then, Theo, is it that he's only got until the end of the season, left on his contract. How important is it that they get that done? It's weird that there
2: hasn't been anything done on it already. Because you think, with all of these contracts Liverpool have sorted, um, they've wanted to go through the whole squad and get them tied down until yeah. 2022, 2023, basically the end of Klopp's contract.
1: Do you think it says that they're just relaxed about it and they think Matip will stay? No big deal, they'll, they'll
2: get him tired. Well, the one they've done most recently is um, Oxlade Chamberlain, and you think, well, he's he still had quite a few years left to go. Um, you can understand why James Milner, Adam Alana yeah. they're letting those ones run out because that's a decision you make at the end of the season. Yeah. Say Leeds won promotion, James Milner is perfectly within his rights to say, I would like to be first choice for them in the Premier League for a year, they're my hometown club, and you'd let him go. Yeah. If Adam Alana came and said he wanted to go back to Southampton or something, you'd let him go. But Matip's got the best years ahead of him. Yeah. That is a player you, you want at your future, um, especially now with the way he's playing. But then the fact that he's worked so hard to get back in the team, you're not really fearful of someone coming in and getting him on a free transfer are you and agreeing this pre-contract agreement. I'd imagine there'll be progress on it before January because, again, that's something you need to sign up before there is any of that. But Liverpool have just been working through the players in the squad as they go along. Um, after Chamberlain, maybe
1: Matip's the next one.
0: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool
1: Echo. Gorsley, is it a slight problem for Klopp in the sense that... Now, I, I, this is this is just my opinion, but I'm pretty sure that I, Klopp would want to get Joe Gomez in the team. I think he tried to at the start of the season, and I think that he sees Joe, Joe Gomez as the long-term option alongside Van Dijk. I think we've all said that. I think we'd all probably agree.
2: Michael Owen that, said it
1: yesterday, got a bit of stick. But... but Joe Mather is playing so well that you can't really put Joe Gomez in the team. So is that a problem? You can't get Joe Gomez those games, or is it just? A, I suppose it's a good problem. But what what do you think about that situation?
3: Yeah, in terms of problems that a manager can have, they'd probably choose that one as the favourite, wouldn't he? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. having players playing well. Um, I I seen your team selector this weekend, and I noticed you you, you thought Gomez might have started because of the pace of our Arsenal's attack, and I thought that was quite sound reasoning. So I was a little bit surprised when when Up started, but. Um, how how can you leave him out at the moment? He's he's in the form of his Liverpool career, and um, just, I, I know Ian Doyle would say that he thinks he's been better than Van Dijk for the last three or four months. So um, when you have got a player who's, who's in that kind of form and causing someone to to make a statement like that, then it's difficult to leave him out. So um, Joe Gomez got years and years on his side, and I'm not worried in terms of the long term for him. I think he will be Liverpool's centre back for years to come. But at the moment, you can't really overlook Mata because. What what's the incentive for players if they're getting left out when they're in the, the form of their careers? Definitely.
1: Just before we we move on, Dan, um, it's not. I think it's fair to say Joe Mathew's not exactly known as Mister Personality. He's not. He's not one for giving lots of interviews. He's not one for seeking the attention of the cameras. But th- there does seem to be a big character there. It's 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 starting to shine through a little bit, isn't
0: it? Yeah. It it, it seems he's you know, he's a fairly understated type of guy. Yeah. Quite reserved. He's certainly not one to be shouting his mouth off all over social media or doing big mad selfies or hashtags yeah. or all the rest of it. But I think he's shown real immense strength of character over the last period of time when it it was very clear he had fallen off the pecking order. Um, he got a, he got a, a rare start, I think, with Southampton at home last season and scored yeah. Yeah. scored a goal, an early goal yeah. at the Anfield Road down from a corner and was quite animated in the celebration. I remember noticing that, noticing that at the time and thinking. This isn't someone that's necessarily written off his Liverpool career. Mm. He is you know, he, obviously this, this someone that's going to look to take his opportunities when they're given to him. Um, and then he was kind of in and out of the team the, the, the that last half of the season. And then he had a real kind of a real stroke of bad luck. When he started the crucial final Champions League group game against Napoli, he had an outstanding game. And then, in the last, literally the last kick of the match, Fell and and done his collarbone, so, so 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 then face another spell on the sidelines. Um, and I just think footballers aren't idiots, you know. That you know, the Anfield crowd, much though we love them, and it's an, you know, an educated crowd, will we'll let a player know when they don't really rate him. And, and Matip couldn't have failed to have picked up on that, I don't think. But he has won, you know, the vast majority of people round just by sheer by his performances and by and by the force of his personality. And when I say personality, I mean his, his willingness to get on the ball, take the ball forward. I mean, I think certainly at the start when he was doing his little mad little slaloms into midfield, people would kind of like <laughs> have the heart in their mouth a little bit. But I think there's, there's, there's people respect what he's doing now. And some of the passes that you know, he's able to, he's able, the way he's able to start attack by bringing the ball from the back has really become a key part of what, of, of Klopp's side so yeah, he's never going to be the most demonstrative or you know outgoing of, of Liverpool characters but he is a fundamental part of this team now and I think his maybe more understated, reserved nature perhaps kind of offsets and, and dovetails quite well with maybe some of the more flamboyant areas of the side and that's why I think you look at this team you look at this squad and it does look very, very well balanced and, and Joel Mattox played a big part in that
1: Absolutely, one thing I just want to pick you up on he loves a goal, doesn't he? I, I, lo- I yeah. love <laughs> someone who celebrates. Like They don't have it in planned. He just loves a goal. Henderson's like that. When Henderson scores, he just yeah. goes it's off just his like head. He's and-
3: just won the World Cup final every yeah, time.
1: Yeah. And, and like, Matip was just like that. He just loves a goal. And
0: that's what you want to see because, yeah. you know, for, for for some footballers like Matip, you never know if this that goal might be your, your last one. Mm, so yeah. you're damn right you should enjoy it.
1: Good, good, yeah. Right, OK, moving on. Um, Theo Mohamed Salah, uh, I mean there isn't really much we can we can <laughs> add to what has been said about him in, so many times before but it was just another world class game you mentioned it before that goal was out of this world I, th- I don't really know what to ask you really just what a player what a
2: player, what a man <laughs> it's one where watching it live you see him go past David Luiz and it is his normal finish and it? it just rolls yeah. into the bottom corner it's only when you watch the replays you see the pace and the, the speed of mind to get it off Luiz to do that little flick around him yeah. I didn't realise how far back he started when he makes this run yeah, yeah. like it's virtually on the halfway line rather than just on the edge of the box and it's whilst he's not had to go past three or four players uh, when you think of his goal that won the Puskas Award the one against Everton I'd argue this one's a lot better yeah me too yeah. And it's just a great finish, and he's finding that confidence. And I think we're changing our opinions every week with who's the leading man in this Liverpool front three against Southampton. Armane's oh, come in, and he's been brilliant yeah. against Chelsea. Firmino's turned that game, yeah. and then against Arsenal now we're saying it's Salah again. They're all playing their part, and that's the beauty of them, yeah. isn't it? One yeah. one of them at least is going to punish you every week.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just remember when he went through when he did that little bit of skill, and you could see that he was running into space, just thinking, "Please score, please score," <laughs> because that would just. Rounded off nicely. It was world class. What also was was world class. Paul was his penalty. I, I mean, yes, we've spoken a few times about his penalties, and I feel like they they just keep on getting better. And that was just, I mean, you, you don't you, you can't strike a penalty better for me than
3: that. No, uh, I'm of the opinion actually that if a penalty goes in, it's a good one, and I don't really care how it, how it does <laughs> no, that. I'm breaking that. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, but the one right up, Paul. Yeah, <laughs> she's right. She's the one right. in the, the yeah. one in the Champions League final was just a toe down the middle, wasn't it? And it was a good job that Hugo Lurie's tied out the way of it because that wasn't a particularly good one, although they go in. But the one on Saturday was just right in the top corner and you're not getting anywhere near it. It's, it's, it's certainly Salah's best penalty for Liverpool and as as good as one as, as I can remember off the top of my head. Um, Superb. And there was a period where Salah started taking penalties and it was a little bit of a, why is he taking it off James Milner? there? Why change what's, it's not broke, don't fix it, but... He's um he's taken them with more confidence now, and that one on Saturday just suggests that he should be the main man on the spot kicks I now. Point out
2: he's not taken off Milner. The ones he's taken is only when Milner's not on the pitch. Oh really? Sorry, yeah. Are you sure?
3: There's
1: Was wasn't there one at on Huddersfield? Was not Huddersfield, yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. I mean, but most the majority of them it's been when Milner's mm. not on the pitch.
3: So yeah. that's just Salah wanting the ball, wanting to get the goal count up. Yeah, but I can't imagine Milner trying to grab one back off him now for the pool on a penalty when they're both on the pitch. Be interesting to see.
0: Mm. Well, particularly yeah. after what's happened with Man United over the last couple of games. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> um, okay, well,
1: let's move on a little bit and just talk about Roberto Firmino, who, even when, even when he's not okay, he stole a few headlines for that little flick. Uh, but even when he's not scoring goals, he's still damn, He's still integral to everything Liverpool do, isn't he? I may
0: have mentioned this before, but I think Roberto Firmino is quite a good footballer. Uh, I think he's actually one of the best footballers I've ever seen play for Liverpool. I'd go as far as saying I think he's arguably our cleverest footballer since Dalglish. Um I saw I saw a tweet on Saturday from someone saying if Roberto Roberto Firmino plays footy in five D, and I thought that was a brilliant way of putting it because he just seems to see things. To paraphrase an old John Watson bit of commentary, he seems to see angles that other teams don't appreciate or other players don't appreciate. He is just an absolute joy to watch. There was something he did. It was towards the end of the first half. And as t- I don't know how to describe it.
1: It's a tough one for a podcast. There was, was a, there, was a, <laughs> b-
0: there was kind of like a ball played like over his shoulder into the inside left channel. And there were kind of players converging on him. And somehow he seemed to kind of like flick the ball past and round them. But in a way that seemed to defy geometry and angles. And uh, having a quick squiz at Twitter at half-timer, people seeing a load of tweets going, what did he just do there? And obviously, obviously I hadn't had the benefit of... Was it of the one replay? where
3: he, he touched it around? Yeah. And then he just got crowded out? Was yeah, it, that it one? didn't yeah. really lead yeah. to anything, but it, it just to me illustrated
0: what an extraordinary footballer he is and how lucky and privileged we are to watch him in a red shirt week in, week out. Long way to continue. I, I love the bones of him.
1: Well, it's, it's interesting too. I was just looking at something before we came into this podcast. Klopp, with the exception of Dominic Solanke has never bought a centre-forward during his time, a traditional Mm centre-forward, shall we say, during his time at Liverpool. Does that say a lot about almost another good problem, but another problem created for him in the sense that there just isn't anyone like Roberto Firmino, is there?
2: No, there's not. I think um, when Liverpool were signing him, uh, he was described as Luis Suarez about goals, Mm but since joining Liverpool, he's added goals to his games and he's not got the controversy. He's going to be the biggest challenge to replace him when the time comes where his legs go or he does want to leave Liverpool maybe go back to the Brazil or something because you the look the at Brazil the Brazil <laughs> 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 well, it's go- like you
1: go Skullsno, the Azte, the Brazil um, yeah.
2: the likes of Mane and Salah the pacey players inverted fours there are so many of them all over the planet yeah. they might not have the talent of those two at the moment but you wouldn't be surprised one day to see Klopp sign another one and turn them into a world-class player yeah. who out there is like Firmino who's got that work rate who can complement the other players in the team so well and will just turn up anywhere on the pitch and put in a shift. Like if Klopp wanted to play uh fullback, he'd play fullback. If you wanted to play centre mid, he would. Like we saw last season Liverpool change formation and he wasn't at his best in the four, two, three, one, no complaints, still did the job, still did the exact same stuff. Um, yeah, you get the complaints that he doesn't score as many as he should. He would have been disappointed that he didn't get his goal against Arsenal. But when you've got Salah scoring, it's because of what Firmino brings to this team. The fact that he has that work rate and he fits in so well with all the players on the pitch. And like Dan has said, long may it continue. He's just exceptional to watch.
1: I actually looked back at his first interview for Liverpool um, just the other day. Don't ask me why. But I had a little look back and I was reading what he had to say. And one of his answers when he was asked what sort of player he was, he actually alluded to the fact that he said, coaches like me and quite tactical and, and whatnot. And and essentially, sort of hinted at what he's become at Liverpool, which is something that I think many coaches, and Rodgers was one, couldn't get the best out of. But Klopp just seems to, Paul, just seems to get the absolute maximum out of him, doesn't he? And, and he's made him absolutely key to what Liverpool do.
3: Yeah, I think if you don't watch Liverpool every week, I think maybe if across the continents, people don't realise how important he is because mm. they don't see him scoring... 30, 35 goals every season. His best return was 27, which is 2017-18. Last season, I think he only got 16. But Several than... supporters tend
1: to think you can just like copy and paste. You can go, oh, well, he doesn't score X amounts of goals. Yeah, so you can take yeah. him out and put in, I don't know, say, say a Harry Kane. And as good as a Harry Kane is, he just doesn't do the same job as what Firmino does for Liverpool.
3: Exactly, yeah. So, so watching him up close, you, you see how much he contributes that isn't just goals or assists because he just has such a such a huge impact on how the rest of the team performs and never was that more evident than when he come on against Chelsea in the Super Cup and within two minutes he'd completely turn the game on its head uh, laying on a play for Mane. Um and with Dan, you know, Dan's glowing tribute to him then I, I don't think I can expand further on it because he's just a sensational footballer and one that Liverpool fans are privileged to watch because he's brilliant um, even if it isn't immediately obvious to supporters of other clubs who don't watch them don't watch him week in, week out.
2: What I like about him as well is how he's won over the Brazil fans mm. because the fact that he went to Europe at such a young age, the Brazilians, they haven't really seen him play. And you think of the strikers they've had over the years. There's been so many great players and they've never really appreciated Firmino. When he was first in that squad, they didn't really want him in the squad because he was playing up front and he wasn't getting the goals. His record was initially quite poor. Obviously, you had the World Cup where Jesus was playing in front of him and they still didn't want Firmino ahead of him. But then since the World Cup, Jesus has had such a good, um, he had such a bad tournament. Firmino's come in; he's been first choice striker in the past couple of years. Won the Copa America with them. They now see what a good player he is. He's getting glowing endorsements from the likes of Ronaldinho and that. So it's not just Liverpool now. See, so they've mm. got a good player on their hands. It's Brazil as well.
1: I feel like he could have one of those seasons as well where he, he gets something like twenty-seven goals. He just I don't know something about. He seems in the mood, doesn't he? Doug?
0: Mm-hmm. right from the from the from the charity shield. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I was to me what well, yeah one of the amazing aspects of the way Liverpool finished last last season was the fact that we for basically the last six weeks were deprived of this man who I, I'm sure one of our pieces today I've seen him referred to as kind of like almost like Klopp's lighthouse in the way that kind of like he shines things up
1: you've got the wrong you've got the wrong Brazilian that's James Pierce, our former full-time Liverpool reporter, well, of both home and away
0: I, I, I still don't think it's necessarily a bad analogy in terms of like someone that yeah. kind of basically lights mm. up Things for others I think it, it, it seems to me is he's, he's one that's maybe appreciated more by he's a thinking man 's footballer yeah so he's never going to get you know i 'd love it if he did get thirty or goals this season Joe because I think he deserves i think he deserved a goal on saturday but it i'd be surprised if it happened because he just is the personification of the kind of character that puts the goods The goods of the team above himself. Uh, we've had a few players like that in the past, the likes of Dirk Kite and your hero, Emil Heskey, who w- would, you know, sometimes subsume the, their own kind of instincts for the betterment of the team. And I, I think has done that for... Sorry, Robbie, for me... Robbie has a new one. What's going on? <laughs> 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 wow. Let's <laughs> not go there, yeah, otherwise yeah. Joe's head will completely fall <laughs> off. No, no, I've lifted um, that band today, Senor Firmino... Um, you know, has has this element to him where he brings other people into play. He, he he enables the team to shine, and he may never get the big plaudits that he deserves. But those who watch him week out, week in week out, as Paul said, really appreciate what he, what he does. I saw a tweet that kind of went viral after the game by some Arsenal fan. I think it might have been before the game, going blah 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 about. Lacazette and, and and finished off by saying don't ever compare Firmino to Lacazette and I didn't reply but if I had have done it would have been on the lines of don't mo- don't worry mate we won't well,
3: but I
1: think
0: probably not in the way that he meant
1: I think that but that underlines what we say about him isn't that the opposition fans just have no idea and and okay let's say he doesn't get the the twenty five to thirty goals this season he ends up with fifteen. I'd always argue with Firmino that he adds 10 to 15 goals onto the total of what Mane and yeah. Salah end up scoring because because of the way he plays. Um, well, you mentioned him, so let's talk about him. Uh, the lighthouse, um, great piece by James, by the way. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you should definitely get over there and read it. A good piece about Fabinho, Another great performance uh, from him, Theo, on, on Saturday. I mean, if you think about how far he's come in, in the last 12 months, uh, it's quite remarkable, isn't it? Because he obviously couldn't get the team at first. But now, I think in that midfield, his first choice, isn't he? Every time,
2: he's got to be. He's the only player in that left midfield who's like that. Um, and when you see him have a long, like Henderson filling in as a number six, and it's more like a square peg in a round hole. I'm not saying he did a bad job. Uh, same when Van Alden fits in, it's a sort of different role from. But Fabinho, he's so physical and it's just impossible to get around. Like there's always been the doubts that he doesn't quite have the pace, but he doesn't need to you just can't get it off him. And if you see um, a team counter-attacking on you, you just know his shoulder is going to appear, shove you off the ball, toe it away, and just play out wide to one of the full-backs or back to the centre-backs and start an attack.
1: His passing is, is so underrated. Yeah. He put, I mean, he, he's the one who he put the ball out to the channel for, for Salah to, to get the second goal. I mean... His forward passing, especially, It's just extraordinary,
3: isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, it's something you don't normally associate with traditional defensive yeah, midfielders, yeah. you know, such a great range of passing, particularly ones who, who throw a tackle in as well, which which he does. And I like to see that because I don't think Liverpool have had too many of those players over the years, have they? Yeah. Someone who who just puts the foot in where and when it's needed. And there was a tackle in the second half, you just completely yeah. for an funny. attack straight yeah, away. And yeah. Liverpool were on the attack with three against two, I think Arsenal it was. was. a foul, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. And um, remember, there was one against Suarez, which yeah. the enemy yeah. yellow card, which was n- what never. One of the great yeah. Liverpool
0: tackles of all time. I've already made a note to mention that it was man, but I, I don't think it was ever shown properly on the TV because I'm sure they were showing a replay at the time. He was booked for it. You're right, and they only showed basically a slow motion replay, so you didn't really get the absolute full on thump yeah. of it. I mean, <laughs> even sitting in the upper tier of the, of the Camden Road, the Eddie Ogilvy stand, you almost winced at it. But it, it was, you know, it, I reckon it was on about the ten minute mark, only a few minutes after, after we'd gone in front, and to me that was a massive moment in that match. Yeah. The, you know, if you if you watch it back, as I've only done about three thousand times since May, <laughs> the, there was there was plenty going on in that first twenty minutes between Suarez and Fabino, back and forth. But there's a, there's a lovely clip, kind of like as the play moves down to the other end after the tackle, where Suarez half limping kind of runs past him, but there's almost like a begrudging respect from two warriors to each other like you've absolutely crunched me there but I have to give you that one it was uh, honestly I've, I've replayed it in hundred it's one of the great tackles
3: but he combines that with basically just being Brazilian so he's naturally good <laughs> on the ball and he's got a good range of passing. um so he, he, he's got the lot really from from a defensive midfielder um again another player who the pull of fortune to have in the ranks it's funny that he used to be a right back but you think um the
2: Rafa Benitez-Liverpool team. The player you can probably compare him best to is Mascherani, you know, that hard enforcer. Yeah. And Liverpool then had to have Alonso and Gerrard to do the passing. Well, Fabinho combines yeah. both roles.
0: I think it's- the shades, sorry to jump, I think the shades of Didi-Haman as well.
1: Definitely, yeah. definitely, yeah. Um, so. in, in
0: the way, in his you know, he's quite tall and wiry, but the way he kind of shields that back four, will step forward and produce a perceptive pass here and there. Um, or, you know, you know shot, occasional shot from the edge of the box. He, he hasn't only got a couple of goals, hasn't he? As as one isn't he was it there um, was one, Newcastle was a, Newcastle was headed from a corner yeah but there was one I was, I was seen on LFC TV a couple of days ago from one point last season when there was a great bit of interplay. to play might possibly have been Chelsea at home towards the end of the season when Su- Suarez did an amazing flick into him and he had a really good low shot that was well saved at the near post the other thing I was just going to mention Swap, swa- I'm yeah i got
3: confused, I'm not confused there yeah, confused <laughs> Salah. Suarez. Salah. 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 <laughs> Salah sorry
0: long weekend what I think um, that would be like <laughs> The, the only other thing I wanted to mention about him was that there's a nice parallel and you know, we're talking about him as an absolute fixture in this Liverpool team now after game against Arsenal. It was Arsenal away last season, and I think early November, when it was probably the first big game he played and he looked quite some way off the pace. I remember we all kind of thinking and saying, might take, might take this lad a while. Within a few weeks, he's really showed what he can do and, and as, the lads, as the lads have said, he is, you know, he's a major part of Liverpool's hopes going forward this season.
1: Well, he dovetails well with the two midfielders who are alongside him on, on Saturday, Theo. I mean, Henderson and, and Wijnaldum, they're sort of Klopp's go-to midfield now, aren't they, those three? And I think they showed why, because they, they get through so much graft, don't they? And, and it, all three of them are better on the ball than um, than anyone gives them credit for, aren't they? There's
2: always that criticism there that the Liverpool midfield doesn't provide the goals. But as we've said time and time again, this midfield is up that way. Because the fullbacks then get so much of the ball, they can get forward, they can get the crosses in, they can get the assists. And you can criticise as much as you want. It does the job. It's effective. And that's why these three complement each other so well. The fact that Henderson and Van Alden can go in any of the three midfield roles and do a solid job for Liverpool, they work so hard. There was that one pass from Henderson, you know, that volleyed one across the pitch. The crowd actually winced at that. They weren't happy with that at first. And then you think, wow, has he meant that that's amazing vision as Robertson just burst forward yeah. so much time.
1: There was the pace put on it as well. Yeah, it was perfect.
2: It right? just stopped and you usually yeah. expect to see that fly out. Yeah. Um, we already know what Van Alden can do. The fact that he's always going to be a hero just for the brace against Barcelona, isn't he? But He only
1: gave away one pass. That one pass? pass. Yeah. That's insane. According <laughs> to Andrew Beasley. The mm-hmm. <laughs> builders <written a> <laughs> do to that.
2: It's great. Mm. That's why they complement each other. And then you look to your bench and you can bring on an Oxlade-Chamberlain who you know is going to get forward, drop his shoulder and just have that energy. Milner, who will run and run. Nabi Kater when he comes back. Lalana, when he's on the ball, when he's on form. They all complement each other so well. There's always that little bit something different. And with here at the base, Klopp has such variety.
1: I feel like we could talk all day about how good Liverpool are. <laughs> um, but I feel like we've also ran out of superlatives and ran out of time. So um, thanks very much for tuning in. Uh, Liverpool is still top of the league. And long may it continue. We'll see you on Friday for when we look ahead to Burnley, um, when Liverpool hopefully, hopefully extend their lead at the top. Thanks very much. Ta-ra.
0: You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.